AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Homegirls, it's the kid Ebony from the PSG podcast, the only place where you would hear interviews from Black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PSG podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five-star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list, so please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at The Professional Homegirl and at The PhD Podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at The PhD Podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD Podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash The PhD Podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. Now, you were addicted to crack cocaine for 19 years. How long have you been clean? 18. I'm almost, I'm almost, I'm almost been clean as long as I used. Almost. Okay. How much I'll be clean as long as I use, which would be like. Okay, congratulations. First of all, you don't even look your age and you don't look like you've been through nothing. (laughs) Thank you. So how were you introduced to it? So what crack? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was shoot. That was easy because I was already alcoholic and I was already snorting. And so I was dealing with this drug dealer. And this girl in the community knew that I was dealing with this drug dealer. And he used to give me like bags and bags of just powder, right? Powder mm-hmm. coke. So she smoked. 
and she she would watch him leave and she knew that I had, you know, that he left me with a bag. To, and she was like, you know, she would come down, I would give her some, we'd snort, we'd talk. And she said, it's another way we can do this. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always down, right? It is. <laughs> she said, yeah, we can cook it. I said, cook it? She said, yeah, come up my house. So I went up her house, sure enough. She had all the stuff to cook it and off to the races. If I'm not mistaken, when I was reading your book, because you were still young when you were doing drugs. Uh-huh. Did oh, you? Yeah. yeah, were you aware of the possible effects that it would have had on you? Because I feel like you didn't know what was to come with it. I didn't, I did not care what came with it. I just wanted not to feel. I knew that I seen other people on drugs that was doing really, really bad. And I knew that you really probably shouldn't be doing drugs. <laughs> I seen the commercial. This is your drug on brain. With the eggs and the skillet. I seen that, you know, but I just didn't want to feel. And it was one of the things that helped me not feel. So. Right. When did you realize that you were an addict? you know it's funny because when i when i when i went to treatment the first time i went to treatment and mm-hmm. i think in the book, i have that in the book about being raped by the first drug counselor i and, thought that was so crazy and not to cut you off but the reason why is because what are people supposed to do when they're supposed to go get help and the help is hurting them right 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 so How i think it even then I knew this, I knew it was a problem because I could not, not get it. And I was willing to do anything to get it mm-hmm. very early on. Yeah. But I was doing that for alcohol. I also feel like when you went to, uh, when you, when the judge was speaking to you and I know that you played a part in a lot of the things you was doing, cause you were stealing from your loved ones and things like that. But I also feel like he was very harsh with you with calling what? you a rapist. <laughs> and told me I better not have any kind of writing utensils including a crown crown. yeah yeah now that was harsh especially when you hear a judge tell you that you're no better than a rapist after you have been raped so many times at a very young age very young and he put me in the same category as the people that raped me that I was no better than them where do you go from there man right where do you go from there how do you have hope yeah do you feel like your aunts and your uncles could have did more to protect y'all? Because I know that y'all was eventually split up, you and your siblings, to go with family members. But do you think they could have did more? No, I think they did the best they could, you know, because none of my, I mean, all of my aunts and uncles, I mean, my aunts, they all had this stuff going on. I think everybody did But when best. is that going to not be, when are we going to stop saying it? Because I also feel like that too. Right, but you know, this is not, that's exactly, but this is the thing. I think that when my grandmother died, she was the person everybody went to to make sure everything was okay. So like you said, and you know, in, in most families, once the grandmother died, there's always somebody else picking that up, you know what right. I mean? Like one of the other aunties or something, but it was nobody, you know? And and so everybody's kind of just off to their own. And, um, and I, it was a mess because some of them were a mess, you know what I right. mean? But better than my mother, you know what I mean? So, right. And the only reason why I asked, cause I remember, um, I shared the story on my podcast before when I was, um, 
my mom used to beat me up really bad when I was a kid. So it was a lot of child abuse in my, when I was growing up. And I went to school one day with a busted lip. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, don't none of these teachers see me with a busted lip? <laughs> yeah, I get and, it. And you wasn't even going to school. Right, right. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Know? Like, don't y'all smell my, just smell me smelling like a piss? Right. Right, you know, come on now, you know, but I get it, you know. Yeah. That's why uh, we do what we do now. Yeah. I agree. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> we changed changing the game now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you share some of your stories of you supporting your habit by becoming a prostitute, that's when I really lost hope in these men. Um, there was a story that you share of having sex with a customer and your water broke, and you asked him he took you to the hospital and he just gave you ten dollars. Yeah. 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 So I was seven months pregnant and I was prostituting with prostituting well out and he seen me he was a regular anyway and he was like hey so I went over his house and in the midst of the intercourse my water broke yeah and and he was like he's I guess he's more pissed off about the water being broke and he gave me ten dollars and just how dark my world was instead of me going to the hospital I went to a filthy shooting gallery to get ten dollars worth of cocaine shot up my veins that's mm. how bad my world is. Actually, I hated feeling. So here I was just sitting in this dirty hole in the wall with my fluids running down my legs, waiting for this woman to shoot me up with $10 worth of cocaine. That's how bad my world is. My dog, my world was. And then I went to the hospital. And of course, my daughter was born with drugs in her system. And um, it was awful. I think back to things like that, you know, and I'm like, I just thank God for saving her, for keeping her, because I couldn't help her. Mm -hmm. Help myself. Now, God was definitely, he was definitely had his hand on you through your darkest moments. Yeah, he read about the guy in the woods. Oh, that was, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right there, man. If God... I tell people all the time, I say, God wanted me to know very early on the power of his name. Yeah. I tell people, God is with us. Even when we out there doing, you know, I was out there prostituting. I wasn't out there on a street corner pre- preaching. I was out there prostituting. And, um, and to have somebody ready to kill you, ready to crush you with a boulder and God open up your eyes just in time to call out his name. When you said his name, you said Jesus, like, what did the man do? Like, for him to just stop like that? Well, because I was like, I guess if you if you want to try to make sense out of it, other than the spiritual part, I guess he did not expect me to come too. Mm. I was more shocked of me coming too, because I think when he was strangling me, he thought he halfway killed me or mostly killed me. He just wanted to make sure with the boulder. So when he was ready to come down, my eyes opened. He was straddled over me. And I said, Jesus. And I guess just to hear my voice come to, you know, that was enough for him. And he actually fell back. I think that it shook him. And me, I think God pushed him back off of me. And I think um, it was an angel or God. It had to be something that we couldn't see. And, but, and then God softened this man's heart so much. Right. Well, he, cradled me like a baby 
and put me in his truck and took me back to where he got me from. He said, I don't have no money, but take my watch. So not only did God save me from being my skull being crushed, but he softened this man's heart enough for him to treat me like a baby and pick me up and take me back. Because he could have just got up and ran or still tried right. to crack my skull. You know, right. takes me down to really kill me. Because most people, once you went that far, they they just gonna, he still was over top of me. So he still had every opportunity to finish the job. Right. Oh, but God had other God had God had other plans. Do you ever think about the, the amount of times you beat death? Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. I sometimes I'll be driving my car and I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it comes to my it comes to my car. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I'd be sometimes it, I remember stuff and I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's, I'm shook. Yeah, I told after I got through reading your book, I said, if I ever get stranded and I have to pick between you and somebody else, I'm going with you because <laughs> Uh, the way you survive, I said, my money is on her. We're going to get through this. <laughs> I know. And I'm telling you, I, I tell people this all the time. God, so many God's, God's so many times God saved me in so many different ways. Like, I remember using dirty needles for people that had AIDS. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they would, they took the needle out of their arm, throw up the, the coke, and put it right in my arm. And they mm -hmm. had AIDS over all night. And God was like, no. And I never contracted the disease. So I can one day have give birth to my daughter, you know. And um, a healthy daughter and just live this life of, of speaking about the power of God and, and what he can do and deliverance. And it's just, it's been an amazing journey. No, it's, it, it's been amazing to be able to be a part of your journey because it's just amazing. Not, yeah. Um, is it hard for you to trust men now because of everything you've been through? So I have my moments, you know, I have my moments of the, you know, but I don't think it's any more than, I don't think, you know, women, you know, we are, but I think I've, I'm so good at first thinking about it and, and put it into perspective before I react because mm -hmm. it's just coming from a place of my hurt or is this something I'm really mm -hmm. believing, you know, so I have to, so trauma survivors always have to, we, we should be analyzing everything, every thought, because right. we've got to make sure that we're not feeding off of what happened to us. Even as, as, a, as a mother to my daughter, I, so many times I was making decisions based on what happened to me, you know, and um, which is not healthy, you know, like I give you examples. So I get out of the program, I get my first little apartment, so excited. I stack it up like I would buy so many pampers mm -hmm. where she wouldn't wear them. She, I'll grow them. It's because I was so used. I did not want. I remember tearing up sheets to put on my sisters and brothers. We had sheet up against the mm -hmm. window, and I'm tearing little by little to put it on for a diaper, and then taking a plastic bag and putting it on top of that to make it. You know, and I didn't want my daughter to ever have to go through that. You know, so I remember having so much stuff, so many clothes, so much stuff, but. I, I couldn't afford it, right. you know, so these are unhealthy decisions I was making um, for us. And, but I was basing on what happened to me. And um, so the one that, the one time I really understood how I was basing, I, I, I made a really bad decision for my daughter based on my trauma. 
So they kept telling me, I, I nursed my daughter until she was 15 months old. Mm-hmm. Until I got hit by the car. You read about me getting hit by the Yo, car. When I read about you got hit by the car, I said, nah. I said, nah, God, give this woman a break because ain't no way. And then you survive. And then y'all, she wasn't even taking, she didn't even want to take medication. Nope. She took some nope. Motrin. And I said, nah, my money on her. <laughs> when, the, when the end of the days come, I am flying to where you at because my money is on you. <laughs> we gonna make it. <laughs> okay, just imagine finally getting to treatment, right? <laughs> I got my daughter. I'm nursing her because they told me I'm not HIV positive. They right. keep testing me and I keep saying I'm negative. So now I can nurse her. And then I've got this new bond with my daughter. And then I'm... I'm I'm volunteering at the program after three months they decided to offer me a job because I'm there all the time so I'm living life I got my little apartment I got my daughter and I go to work one day and get hit by a car I tell people all the time for 19 years I was drunk in the middle of the night in the middle of the street get sober walk in the crosswalk in broad daylight and get in and um was he a drunk driver we don't know he was he kept going oh wow it's hit and run hit and run i had broken shoulders my arm was shattered i had no skin on the whole right side of my body and my teeth was pushed up and in my head and the worst part of it all was them coming to my bed i was in john day took me to john hopkins and the worst part is having somebody tell me after everything I did to keep my daughter, that now I would not be able to take care of my daughter. Mm. Thank God one of the women at the program said she'll take her home. And, you know, because if she had gotten a system, I would have never got her back because my history. So imagine doing everything right for once and still being told that you're unable to take care of a child. That right there could have thrown me back but I thank God God was with me thank God I had a relationship with God and I kept moving forward right and I didn't want I said I don't want I don't want y'all I don't want the narcotic pain medicine I was in so much pain though but I said give me Motrin and I'm gonna push through it and I did yeah I was like man and you made a good point because a lot of people would have turned back to drugs right I mean I mean, come on now, like you get this far and then, you know, so, but God restored, recovered, restored, did everything. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I think about the things like the reason why I created my skincare line is because I used to, I used to have all these track marks like on my neck, on my arm. Mm-hmm. I said, and I used to look in the mirror. I'm healing from my trauma, but those, I said, where I was cut, cut beat up and all of that. I had all these scars on my body and it will remind me of my trauma. Mm. I started mixing up stuff to, to clear my skin up and it worked. And so that's why I ended up because I wanted- Cause it's definitely have, glowing. Oh, I have some growth. I have beautiful, flawless skin now. And, um, but I had that before I even started the skincare line because I was mixing up the stuff that I end up having the laboratory developed for me and um, to, for the skincare line. But, uh, but yeah, I was a mess. And um, from the accident, from the rapes, from the beatings, from the drugs, I mean, 
and then I was a, I was one of those people that had, they call them cook bugs. If you ever see anybody that pick, they pick holes in their skin because they think mm-hmm. it's bugs all over when they did cocaine. That was me. So I had holes, black holes all over my body. Mm. And I was watching your documentary and you also mentioned that you would see the men that rape you often. Oh, yeah. Did yeah, they recognize you? Yeah. Half of them should tell me. So I always joke around. I would say when I go around to the hood, because, you know, I have my nonprofit and my my family still live around the hood. And when I go around the hood, I would see them all the time. They be saying stupid stuff like, I always had a crush on you. Child, I almost said the N-word. <laughs> and, 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 and the drug dealers. I had one drug dealer saying, you know, I always had a crush on you. I said, really? Because that was hard to tell when I was dollar short that time. You kicked me in my stomach. You know what I mean? Like they forget, like I'm supposed to, they, they think I forgot with how they treated me when I was out in the streets. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I know you, you played a part in your journey, but I also feel like the men were just like, even with oh, your ex-husband, oh, how he treated you. Oh, yeah. They was just awful. And he took your son away from you. For and then, right. And then when he saw you in the street, obviously you was a, you was high. And he would make you give him oral sex just for you to see a picture of your son. It was just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, these niggas, man. I mean, these men. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it is funny because it's, it was like that all my life. Yeah, all your life. All my life. So when I, when I wrote the book, Relationship After Trauma, and I, you know, I talk about how to have a healthy relationship. Like the relationship I'm in now, you know, um, so when I met my fiance, I mean, he, when I met, he was a police officer. Mm. You know what I mean? And we, and you know, what's really interesting with him is he's never been introduced to the trauma, trauma-informed care world, you know? But I remember very early on, he was, when I would have my little moments, he would say things like, okay, what can I do for you right now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he knew it wasn't about him. Right. Now it'd be about him. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that I'm... Oh, go ahead. The patience and and the love that he gives me, you know. I don't know how long this lady going to keep me on this podcast. No, we almost done. We almost done, sir. (laughs) We almost done. She she'd have read the whole book, so I just have no idea what time we. No, we almost done. She's talking to her fiance, y'all, but we almost done because we. I don't want to keep you too much long because I know it's dinner time. <laughs> so um, so yeah, so um, he, he he. I never had I never had a man in my life that was very that loving and gentle because most men take it personally. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, you know they take me personally. You know. He knew that it wasn't personal. He knew that whatever I was feeling really had little to do with him. Right. He didn't do anything, you know, so he helped me to process it. So, you know, and for the longest time, I have never met anybody like that. So, And I'm glad that he kind of interjected now. So, because you have a conversation with him on the side, but I'm glad that you were able to express the type of love that you experienced with him because it gives people hope. Yeah, exactly. And And after all of that, I've been beat and raped so many times by men. I stopped counting them. I don't even know. That's how many times. Every relationship I had in the past, whether it was 
drug counselor raped me. My ex-husband beat me, raped me. Then my boyfriends and, you know, and then all the rapists and all in the streets because you're homeless. So in the detention center, officers were sexually abusing me. And it's like everywhere I was going, I was being sexually abused, hurt feet or whatever. The drug dealers were batting me down because I found their stash. And, right. And, uh, you know, all the things that went along with that. But even with all of that, when you start to heal from trauma, truly, mm-hmm. truly heal, allow yourself to heal, you will be able to allow yourself to not only receive love, but to love. It takes time. It's not easy. It's not overnight. It's not. And you're going to have some, you know, some Earl trial and errors, as I call them. But there is love out there, you know, and, and, and everybody deserves to have love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, on your road to recovery, you talk about how your therapist was the first person to ask you what yeah. happened. What do you think that we can do, or what do you think that therapists or people that deal with people that are um that survive trauma, what can they do to better their techniques? Because for you to go through everything you went through, and that was the first person to ask you, that's that says a lot. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. That says a lot. Sure. Like I said, um she was a trauma-informed um, therapist. And, and the, re- the thing is, 2008, that's when the world, we started talking about, you know, how we need to start to treat tra- trauma. Right. And so I think that we just need to keep pushing on low people like you need to continue to do the podcast. We are, I've, all of my books, my movies, my TV show has some kind, something to do with awareness and trauma. Like we need to be, continue to have these conversations, put it out there through social media, through films, through books, through, you know, your podcasts and things like that. I think we, we're doing it, you right. know, so people can start saying, wait a minute, it may be something that happened to them that was wrong with them, you know. Right. What did your journey look like when it came to forgiving yourself? Um, so I've started to forgive myself because I, I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus Christ, I was forgiven because of Jesus. And if God, a holy, holy, holy God, can forgive me who am I not to forgive myself right and freedom in that and you know so but I gotta forgive myself all the time because I'm I I ain't on drugs and off the hook no more but sometimes I be thinking some things I be like (laughs) I be in a car cussing everybody out so sometimes I gotta forgive myself sometimes every day right as we have to ask for forgiveness you know and that's what it is. It's okay. And this is where, so <laughs> I know you're like, she, she keeps talking about all these TV shows, but I do got a lot of shows that's coming out. Well, come on oh. now, flex for us because you deserve it. So, so um, I have another show called Hats Off. <clears throat> that is, it's, uh, it's a talk show and it's called Hats Off. And this show is about women coming, Christian women coming to the table, getting real, taking those big fancy hats off and stop using hats, stop mm. having hats. Because one of the things, I tell people all the time, after I left the altar, I still was a hoe. Right. You know what I mean? I, still, I was hooking up. Hey, 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 I'm going to control the sex thing. You know what I mean? Then that didn't feel good. Then I went to porn and masturbation. Then, you know, so we ain't talking about these things to help people get delivered from these things and have free. Because we want, we want, oh, all this shame right. around. I Real quick to talk about it. And because we need to start to empower people to talk about things because people live with so much shame and guilt mm-hmm. and you know we need to i'm saying it's okay 
it's okay. I did it. They probably did it. You know, it's okay. You mm -hmm. know, and that's what it's about. So. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of your kids don't want to be reunited with you. Do you want your Do you want your kids to read your book and to know more about your story? Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, when when the other three reunited, they read the book in the DVD. I wanted them to read because I wanted them to understand that it was better for them not to be with me. Right, right. And and um, but I never stopped loving them. But I wanted them to to see everything and hear everything and say yeah they didn't want to be a part of that you know and um thank god because i've been around had some friends that held on to their kid and their kids was right there seeing everything and then their kids ended up you know and so i'm very grateful for that and my daughter my oldest daughter she's not ready yet but she has sent pictures through my son for me and asked for pictures of me so i think a time will come yeah, yeah. i think so too and, I'll, and you have custody of your youngest child. I raised her, the one I was in prison for. How did you feel about everything? You made the, the, the privilege. Um, <laughs> God, girl, don't get me started on that one. You made the well, not every. I guess because you've been through so much. Oh, she, so my daughter has, I wish she hasn't read the book yet. I won't let her read the book. She has seen the DVD and she traveled with me on tour. So she knows the story. Right. You know, but this private school privilege, <laughs> I need, I need, I need, I need. Are you looking at her right now? I'm, I'm looking to see if she come in my room. She came in my room earlier. Mom. <laughs> My debit card ain't working. I want a door dash. <laughs> well, one of the reasons why I, I really wanted to have you on this show, and I swear we almost finished, is because I feel like people like you with your story, this show give people opportunity to humanize you. Because I feel like if people were to know who you were or to know all the things that you've been through, even what you were saying, you was arrested 83 times and convicted 63 times, but when people get to the root of why all of this happened to you, it humanizes you and make people want to have empathy towards you. And to other people, like, okay, my life's good. You don't care how you feel about me. Right. So many people out there that, you know, we automatically want to, the stigma, and all we want to assume, well, you get what you get. You know what I mean? And no, you know, right. so that's why I told the story. And also the reason why I asked you about your kids is because you made a really good point of, if they were with you, because I really do think you had good intentions of being a good mother to them, but thank God they wasn't with you during that, right. that part of your journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. The best thing I could do was to not fight it, you yeah. know, um, so they can have a loving home. Yep. And when God was ready for me to have a child, he gave me her, my 17 year old. <laughs> I get shook sometimes. I, like, this is a child that has traveled the world for her 16th birthday. She got a car. She's been in private school since pre-K four. I like, she like. The and, American dream. And no, nothing is enough. Nothing is enough. You sound like a mom right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but so she turns 18 next month. And I was like, I told her the other day, I was like, you ready to turn 18? God actually let me hold on to you for 18. <laughs> 
I said, I probably have done the best of everything, but I think I did a pretty good job. And she said, you did okay, mom. No, you did good. You did good. She's a good kid. She's smart, smart girl. And um, she, she's a good girl. She's a good kid. She's a good kid. She's ready to go off. She'll be, she should go into her senior year. And um, I took her for, for Memorial Day weekend because she had a long break. I took her on a Disney cruise. We like Disney cruise. Every year we go on a Disney and I took on a Disney cruise just so it can be me and her because all after this year she won't be able to go to the, the little clubs they have the kids club that the, the teenage club because she'll be 18 she's a woman so now. I wanted to have, right so so I wanted to get and so I'm gonna take her on a European one we're gonna fly into Spain and do we're gonna do Rome Italy Rome um france and spain on the cruise but she'll be she'll be 18 so she can kind of hang out with mom so it'll be fun no that's cool um what is some advice you would give to the listeners on healing from trauma that occurred in their childhood before it shows up in their adulthood talk about it find somebody you can trust you know um go to the samsa website s s a m h s a gov it's a mm-hmm. lot of resources don't feel comfortable going there i started a nonprofit in 2015 to get free services to trauma survivors it's called mean cares it's called mean cares if we can connect you to some resources you can reach out to us so you're not alone you're not alone i do what i do because we want to help people i go out there in the world so we can continue to kick doors in for people and then hold them open for them have to have the time to get through it so yeah so um you're not you're not alone we are here for you and um if you don't find somebody to talk to in your circle there's other circles that you can contact contact us we'll connect you and last but not least if there is one thing that you would like people to receive from your story what would that be no matter what there's hope no matter how bad it feels no matter what the record says no matter what it looks like no matter what it feels like always know as long as you're breathing there's hope yeah, that was my favorite. That's my motto with this breath there. So. Well, I appreciate you. I know I had you on here for a thousand hours, but I just, yeah. I'm so thankful that I was persistent with you because I just knew your story was, it, it was. Oh, when people bring me on their show, I do 20 minutes. I know, I know. I know you you have a lot going on. So I was like, come on, God, please. But no, you are a great, 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 great host. I like, you know, if I can, if I can click with a person and we jiving, we good. I'm, so it was my pleasure though oh thank y'all if y'all haven't thank you and if you have any questions or comments or concerns please make sure to reach out to me at hello at the phdpodcast.com and until next time everyone later all right sweetie <laughs> hey girlfriends it's me carol fisher back with another season of the global number one podcast the girlfriends last time we investigated the murder of gail katz this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.